Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Nobody has more respect for women than I do. Nobody. Hillary Clinton wants to abolish it, believe me. She wants to abolish our Second Amendment. I think they didn't deny it. I don't think anybody denied it. Other presidents did not call, did write letters, and some presidents didn't do anything. Many people have come out and said, I'm right. You really do have to ask yourself, where does it stop? Hello and welcome to Fallacious Trump, the podcast where we use the insane ramblings of the once and future worst president ever to explain logical fallacies. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm your other host, Mark. A logical fallacy is an error in reasoning that results in bad or invalid arguments. And the logical fallacy we're looking at this week is the planning fallacy. So the planning fallacy is technically a cognitive bias rather than a logical fallacy as such but it leads to poor reasoning it leads to invalid reasoning when it kind of runs up to an argument or or is used in in the commission of an argument and what it is is when people estimate how much time they're going to need to do a task Mm -hmm. typically people are optimistic even pessimistic people are optimistic in how quickly they think they can get a thing done. Oh, right. So in their, their bias is towards it being a lot quicker than they think it will be. Yeah. Right. Which leads them to make bad arguments. Yeah. <laughs> There's various theories as to why this happens, but, mm. but people think maybe you have more of a tendency to kind of picture the success of the thing you're trying to do and the things that are going to go right and, you know, the kind of best-case scenario for how long those things will take Yeah. while ignoring any of the potential pitfalls or downfalls or difficulties that you might have along the way and the weird thing is that this is persistent even when people have quite a lot of knowledge of the task or have done this task specifically before or have Mm -hmm. information that tells them how long this task usually takes to do yeah yeah people are usually well yeah but this is i'll just this will be quick i'll be fine it'll be fine yeah take no time at all yeah. This explains a lot, frankly, for me, because uh, it certainly right. explains why I always think I have enough time to get where I'm going when I never right, do. Okay. I never yeah. leave on time. Right. <laughs> I did have to do a speed awareness course, and the one thing <laughs> that they said was, how, you know, how best can you not speed? And mm-hmm. the one thing they came away with was leave earlier. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, you know, that's it. But and I always leave shit car. at the point where in the absolute best case scenario where there's yeah. no other people on the road and my car somehow goes faster without breaking the speed limit, I could definitely make it in time. Well, sound bad, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I, well, where I live now, everywhere is about an hour from everywhere else. So, but it isn't. It's always like, it's, it's either a good deal more than an hour or yeah. it's hardly an hour at all. But you just think, oh, yeah, I'll be there in an hour. And then uh-huh. <laughs> you're not. Yeah, that does involve you leaving a half past three in the morning when there's no traffic <laughs> whatsoever. And yeah. all the red lights magically turn to green. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Never yeah. are any roadworks or anything no, like that. No, nothing. It also explains why uh, DIY projects always take longer than exactly. you think they're going to. Even though I know that. Yeah. And I've told people. You've been doing it for decades yeah. and you think, and you oh, this go, will be. It will take twice uh, yeah. as long as you think it will take. So you've got to. So what, so what you end up doing is halving the amount of time you'll think it will take. 
so uh-huh. that it ends up taking as long as you think it will take. But it always <laughs> takes twice that, always. Yeah. So if and and I think part of it also is the you know in the in the business that we're in when we have clients that are requesting some film work or other, they will say to you, okay, so how long it's going to take? So well, it's going to take certain amount of time to film it and then it will take five to ten times as long to edit it which you know in, <laughs> in our experience yeah. that's actually how long it takes but of course if you say that then you'll no. never get hired because yeah i usually say twice as long to edit as it takes. yeah i know but it doesn't it takes <laughs> no, five, it actually that, takes five to ten times as long yeah, that involves me doing a lot of extra work yeah, when i'm just exactly. saying yeah, yeah. Well, you know well i'll just, just start <laughs> counting days we're running we're on silurian time so we're on a 48 hour day uh-huh. yeah so that's even though I've I took to writing down in my diary exactly how you know which days I spent editing the last project yeah. for this particular client. You can go back through it and go. Well, I wrote it down, and yeah. it took me ten days to. I edit mean, you do. This. You are a, you are a very slow. You edit edit with one finger, don't you? Like that's all you. Yeah, that's like <laughs> hunt and <laughs> hunt and peck editing. <laughs> yeah, and one eye shut. <laughs> and I've got one ear blocked, so it's like mono. Just to and, make it fun. Just, just to make like, it fun, but, yeah. yeah, yeah. But you're right. There is an input, and I think it's it's also there when you're still at the office and you should be home, and your significant other goes, "Well, how long are you going to be?" You go, "Oh, yeah, no, I'll be home in about half, half an hour." <laughs> you know, despite the fact that you that everywhere is an hour away from where <laughs> I live. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In our first example, this was back in January 2017 uh, when he was talking about the wall and getting the wall built, and people were giving estimates for how much it was going to cost and how long it was going to take. There's no reason for seven years also. I heard the other day, please don't do that to me. Seven (laughs) years to build the wall. (laughs) We can build the wall in one year, and we can build it for much less money than what they're talking about. Yeah, so he thought... In he, is, he, is one of, he is one of those horrible clients, <laughs> that, you know, all those clients listening in. Yeah, you know who you are. Those, those horrible clients who look at it and go, well, it's only three minutes. Yeah. Why does yeah, it uh, no, take absolutely. so long? So, it's very... if, if it was 10 minutes, it's now three minutes. Surely that's <laughs> Yeah. It's very much like the Lucille Bluth, uh, you know, it's a bana- it's one banana. How much could it cost? Ten dollars? It's yeah, like yeah. he's he's looking yeah. at this going, It's one wall. How long could it take to build? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and he and he kind of he comes from his he uh, part of his shtick that he's is he's been doing this building stuff forever. He knows what's involved. Well he doesn't because he's not that done any of the actual building. What he's done is ripped off builders and short changed clients. Yeah. Is what he's done for years cut and years and years. And yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Cut That's... corners, not paid anybody. So no wonder it doesn't cost him anything because he never pays anybody. So just to blurt it from seven to one. Yeah. <laughs> of course yeah. it didn't take one year. No. Uh in fact it's still technically hasn't because the heat's not finished no. uh, despite all of the, the trump saying yeah. that it got finished mm. during or well he said variously over the last year either mm. it was three weeks away from being finished or it got finished yeah he built well he built they built on his behalf yeah over the course of his presidency about yeah. 80 miles of new wall and about somewhere in the region of 350 miles of replacement wall for barriers that were already there Right. Um, but on of, of the original plan of how much wall there was going to be, because there are some parts of the border which are kind of natural barriers, yeah. you know, 
Um, but but of the original plan, there was almost three hundred miles still to do. Wow, that that wasn't done by the end. So I don't think yeah. they were going to get that done in three weeks. Nope. And, no, and <laughs> and they certainly didn't get anywhere near finishing it in a lot more than a year. Yeah. So the seven years estimate, given that it came mm. from professional wall builders, probably nearer the truth. It's just he was only ever going to pay them for a year. Yeah. yeah. So the second example that we've got is yeah. when Trump was talking before the 2020 election about how long it takes to count votes. We should know the result of the election on November 3rd, the evening of November 3rd. That's the way it's been and that's the way it should be. What's going on in this country? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's the way it's been. It's really? not the way it's been. No. At all. And that's right. and Certainly how... not in modern history. If you go back to like even back through to the nineties or so, there's never been an election where you've known the result on election night. Certainly yeah. not through the counting of all the votes. There yeah. there have yeah. been times when it was so clearly mathematically in one direction, but there's a lot of places in the US. I was talking with about this with a couple of British friends because I, I didn't know how many districts there were in the UK, like constituencies. Right. Yeah. There's like 650-ish. Yeah. That's about right, yeah? Yeah. And each one of those, there is an, an election, and there's counting that goes on for those. Yeah. In the US, there's about 450, and it's a bit bigger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the US is like six times the population of the UK. Yeah. And, and less districts. So per district, there's on average, probably 10 times the population. Right. So that's a lot more votes that you need to get done. And we get them done in, into the early hours of the morning. We certainly don't get our votes counted in the, in the evening. Of There's the one constituency that prides itself on getting their count in first. And that, that, that always... Scarborough or something yeah, like that. Somewhere yeah, somewhere like that. And it arrives at like four in the morning or something. Yeah. So it takes them... Because the polls don't close until, well, 10 o'clock? Something like that. I yeah. think you can vote till ten PM. So how you you've gone past the evening yeah. of the voting day. So now you're going to get the polls. You know, and the polls stay open till what eight o'clock in the in the US, or does it d depend? Per, Don't actually know what time the polls stay in the US, but but either way, there are states in the US which have small populations but are very rural and are like as wide as the entire British Isles. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. and just yeah. to get all of the individual boxes from the various polling places, yeah. someone presumably has to drive around and pick them up. Yeah. That's going to take more than an evening to do. Exactly. If, just if to get them all to one British place. Isles, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously uh, that's not possible. No. I mean, apart from all of that... Because it's a non-federalised uh, voting system, you know, the, the time and manner and place of elections taking place is, yep. is controlled by the states. Yep. And each state has slightly different rules. In some states, yep. largely because of Republicans, you can't, <laughs> count, you can't start counting mail-in ballots until election day. Yeah. And so if you've got millions of, of uh, mail-in ballots that you can't even open until election day, then... Obviously, that's going to take a while. It does occur to me that actually the answer to his need to get the results in by early evening is to have remote electronic voting like yep. they introduced 
in the House of Commons for a while during the pandemic, it allowed um, members of Parliament to vote from their homes yeah. on any uh, issue that came up in the in the House of Commons. So that that was sufficiently secure for them to to trust yeah. it and to implement it, and they just hit yes or no. Yeah. Um, whatever, and then count them, and it was done instantly. Of course, they, of course, Rees-Mogg had to change all that. And there are some states where they have that, right? Uh, not remotely, but but you can go to the, you go to your polling place, and it, there is a machine that you yeah. hit a button. There are some states that have that. There are some states where you fill in a piece of paper and then put that in a machine right. to count it. So it, it does. You do it in a machine, but you need the paper first. Yeah. There are some places where it's only paper. And the machines are used to tabulate votes, so that's done. The counting is done, kind of in the central processing area in the in the kind of state house or whatever, wherever that's done. There's different rules all over the place. There's different methods. It's never going to be done uh, as efficiently as it might be if they had one system, which mm. was worked on and improved year by year. And he kind he kind of wants it every which way, doesn't he? What's what's it makes me think that his entire raison d'etre is just to just to be continually disruptive so that people think that everything's falling to pieces and he is therefore the savior yeah was that boris johnson oh no it's the same thing yeah yeah. same thing so that and and that because at the same time as he wants all the voting to be done by the evening the results to be given out by the evening across the entire country he also wants the votes to or his acolytes want the votes to be hand counted. Yeah. So at the at the end of the polls close so if you're in a district that's got fourteen million <laughs> voters, how are they gonna realize and they get, unless they put all the voters or half of them, seven million of them in a room they don't have to count two each, that'd yeah. be really quick, wouldn't it? <laughs> so the the only way to make this work is to have machines and then of course he wants to discredit the machines. What they also want, which is completely understandable and why it takes so long is they want it to be completely accurate yes exactly yeah and they want to be able to see every vote (laughs) being counted with their own republican eyes yeah Yeah. and as everyone knows everyone who's ever been a freelancer knows you can have two of good cheap or fast you can't have all three you want it good and cheap it's not going to be fast it's going to take a while if you want it good and fast, it's going to be incredibly expensive. Yeah. So if you want it fast yeah. and cheap, not going to be good. Yeah, there was a race this election in Manchester, New Hampshire, where it was only total of about three thousand seven hundred votes, something in that oh, really? in that area. Yeah. And they had a recount. Before the recount, uh, one side was winning by I think it was twenty two votes or something like that. Right. And and the recount happened. And then the other side, which happened to be Democrats, won by one vote. It went wow. to 1,799 to 1,798 the, wow. uh, after the recount, which is quite a swing for, yeah. for that small number of votes. Yeah. But, it, you know, it's trying to do it quickly. It doesn't necessarily yeah. make it completely accurate. So they take a bit more time over it, find out what, how people really voted. So, yeah, yeah if we have any... Uh, New Hampshire listeners in that area who voted, yeah. uh, especially if you voted because we said don't forget to go and vote, we totally yeah. made the difference in that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Between us all, because we, yeah. yes, we were saying one vote can count. Uh-huh. Yeah, it really can. And 
Now is the time, I think, for Marx's British politics. Corner. See, I think what's at the heart of this of the planning fallacy, though, the, the planning cognitive bias, is also that you can simply do stuff better than anyone else. And you don't need a plan, or you don't, or you don't need to share one. You just could take it on trust that I can get stuff done. Because it's that, it, it's you, you sweep in and you say, ah, oh, look, oh, it's just nonsensical. It, you must be so fed up with how long this is all taking, all this time. I can do it better for you. I can get it, I can get it done. I can get stuff done. Which leads us naturally <laughs> to the, uh, the one example this week. Where can we go? Yeah, except yeah to one example. To Six clips, but the, one example. Yeah. <laughs> the, well, you know, I managed to pare it down. It's been a long, it's a long six years. Yeah. So it's the, you know, the largest example of this planning fallacy in action is, of course, Brexit. I think we should take the chance now, as a country, to take back control. Take back control of huge sums of money. Of huge sums of money, of £350 million a week, and spend it on our priorities. This comes from a Conservative leader MP who I think will be backing Boris Johnson in the leadership contest. He told me this. He said, I said to him, so where's the plan? Can we see the Brexit plan now? There is no plan. The Leave campaign don't have a post-Brexit plan. And, and he was pointing over there to where the Vote Leave HQ was, and he, then he pointed over there and he said, number 10 should have had a, a plan. Now, it sounds like I'm making that up. That literally happened two hours ago. So that was in June 2016. Oh, it seems so long ago. Just after Leave won. So the first clip we, there we heard was Boris, that, which is kind of the extent of the plan. Yeah, let's take back control. It, the plan exists, it consisted, as we've said before, of three-word slogans take back control and they're well, what do you mean by that well we're going to take back control of our money and we can to all that money we could look we could put it on the side of a bus and pretend that we're going to give it to the nhs so we could take back control of our borders and we'll take back control of our sovereignty all of them are just nefarious things that don't constitute a plan but they I think, sound I think like neb- i mean they were nefarious as well but i think we mean nebulous. They were ne- <laughs> and nefarious and nebulous and I mean nebulous things yeah they are clouds of gaseous nonsense uh, and that was enough of a plan and the second voice there we heard was a friend of the show Faisal islam mm-hmm. who told gove fed up with too much of experts and he you know quite understandably said right okay now you've won You've won. You've got to. You've got your leave thing. Where's the plan? Oh no, no, there isn't a plan. And not even is there not a plan? They think that number ten, who were urging people to remain, should have the plan for people. Who, <laughs> if if leave win, uh-huh. why would they do that? So over a year later, December sixth, twenty seventeen, at a select committee chaired by Hillary Benn, Labour MP son of Tony Benn, David Davis, Brexit minister, admits that there's not even any paperwork that might form some sort of background to a plan. So the government hasn't undertaken any impact assessments on the implications of leaving the EU for different sectors of the British economy. Hmm. So there isn't one, for example, on the automotive sector. No, not I'm aware of, no. Is there one on aerospace? Not I'm aware of, no. No. One on financial services? Well, I think the answer's going to be no to all of them. No to all of them, (laughs) right. (laughs) 
Now, doesn't it strike you, Secretary of State, as rather strange, given experience around the committee in which you have, the government undertakes impact assessments on all sorts of things all of the time, mm. that on the most fundamental change that we are facing as a country, mm. you've just told us that the government hasn't undertaken any impact assessments at all. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> So uh, by this time, Theresa May is in government because Cameron has he's kind of whistled and walked away. So there's a Brexit minister now, David Davis, Brexit bulldog. He is charged with working out what the fuck to do, what does Brexit mean? And at the time, Theresa May, in her government, she said Brexit means Brexit. And we've gone into that before. And... So they've got no, no idea, no idea what it's going to do because there was no plan, never is a plan, uh, still isn't. And so, and, and however, on March 15th, 2018, David Davis still maintains that he will strike a deal slash plan. We will strike a deal in the best interest of the United Kingdom taxpayers. It's the job of my department to bring back control of the, uh, over issues such as money, law and borders. And as we do, it will be up to this House and this government to make the decision. So there's the, the plan reiterated, money, law and borders. We'll take control of all three of those. What does that even mean? So I think the, 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 the only planning at the heart of Brexit, well, the Leave campaign, was ultimately for Boris to get in power. That's why he joined the Leave campaign. The Leave campaign uh, had begun. There were three or four groups that were all campaigning to leave under various names, including Nigel Farage. And Boris joined that because he sniffed power. He thought he could be the one that comes in and identifies all the things you know, that he's been lying about for years that um, Europe are threatening to take away from you, which he did for money in the column in the Daily Telegraph. So he could come and ride in as the uh, great white knight and solve all the problems. And that's why he back leaves. And that's why he didn't stand as leader after leave one. Gove and he were conspicuous by their absence at wanting to stand as leader. They, the, the video on the day that they won, they looked like hostages. <laughs> and then he waited till Theresa May drank from what was, continues to be a poison chalice. And then he came charging in to save it all and get Brexit done. Still with no plan. The plan turned into the oven-ready deal for what we get as a result of leaving the EU, which was basically the thing that he said Theresa May's was ought to go because her deal was awful same deal um and of course there was no plan nor was there ultimately no deal and here is gove saying just that despite the fact david davis says i will get a deal i'm here along with the transport secretary and the home secretary in order to ensure that in the days that remain government does everything it needs we're spending millions of pounds in order to ensure that kent and the rest of the country are ready for no deal and i'm confident that uh, with the the hard work of people here in dover and elsewhere we will be ready to leave so he this is august 2019 we're going to leave with no deal in october 2019 and then that will kick in in january 2020 and the millions he's talking about was spent on the get ready for Brexit <laughs> advertising campaign with basically six months to go before the the it would all kick in. And it meant that and it also meant that the government shifted the onus of preparation onto businesses. I have every confidence that the people here, which stands for we haven't got a 
bother doing anything because we'll just get them to do it all. Yeah, they basically threw together a website that said, here's the ways that your business is going to be way worse off. Yeah. And then... And then did an advertising get, get campaign ready for saying, that then. Yeah, yeah, are you ready for Brexit? And then yeah. sent them to this website so that people could yeah. go, oh, fuck, now I have to do six times as much paperwork and can't export exactly. to three of these countries. Yeah, and, and, and it was very light on details. Yeah. The National Audit Office in January 2020 reported that the government had spent 46 million of the hundreds that they projected taxpayers' money, our money, £46 million on the Get Ready for Brexit campaign and concluded, and I quote, it is not clear that the campaign resulted in the public being significantly better prepared. Yeah. That's very much like saying if we, if we could say that the president did not commit a crime, we would have done so. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh-huh. exactly. yes, quite. And, so, and, and the reporter from Sky News, the, same, the end of that same report, uh, that we just heard Gove blathering on, uh, he sums it up. Companies have done what they can to try and reduce the cost and inconvenience of no deal, but there is a limit to what they or anyone else can do. Because so much, from the basic terms of trade with Europe to what will actually happen at the borders, is still unknown. And as a footnote, yesterday, the 16th of November 2022, Swati Dinger, a member of the Monetary Policy Committee at the Bank of England, and Andrew Bailey, the governor of the Bank of England, commented in another select committee on Brexit's negative impact on the British economy. In the period that happened after the referendum, there was the biggest depreciation that any of the world's four major economies have seen overnight. Yeah. 6% is the number which is higher than the rest of the world so far as right. a result of the Brexit impact that that contributed to increasing prices, reduced wages, and I'm not talking simply through real wages, but also through nominal wages. Yeah, there was a long-run downshift in the level of productivity, I think, of around, it's a bit over 3%. So our growth since Brexit has not gone up the same 6% as everybody else in the Eurozone, and our productivity has not gone up 3.4%, the same as the Eurozone, even post-COVID, that is. And just as with Quasi's unplanned fiscal event slash British economy meltdown, the planners of these plans, Cameron, May, Johnson Trust, Quarting, have simply been sacked or resigned on £115,000 per year ex-ministerial payout and a quarter of a million pounds after dinner speech fees that Boris now commands. And in this country, that's called being held to account. <laughs> That'll teach them. That'll teach him. <laughs> so it, it all continues to be going to plan. Yeah. We just don't have to change the plan. We should have realised the voters have no brains. They'll overlook this mess completely. By the time it's election time again We've lied about the things we're at Whilst Hancock's jungle eating monkeys testy sacks While you look the other way We'll make sure no one rich ever has to pay Cause the populace they just can't see The way we use the wild fallacies
Uh, Bobby Darin there with his hit song, I Guess I'll Have to Change My Plan. Mm-hmm. So in the Fallacy in the Wild, we like to talk about the Fallacy of the Week from a non-political perspective. And our first example this week comes from Only Fools and Horses. Of course! <laughs> of course! <laughs> <laughs> and so I, suddenly today, as I was, uh, I was off out shopping, and it suddenly occurred to me, this is uh-huh. one of those, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so yeah. I'm gonna, we need to explain to American listeners what Only Fools and Horses is, because it's never, as, as far as I know, it's never really made it over there. No. They did have a pilot. ABC had two pilots made with John Leguizamo right. as Dell and, right. and Christopher Lloyd as Grandpa, which sounds wow. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, but no, this is one of the longest running sitcoms on British TV. Uh, uh, hugely popular did yeah. like Christmas specials for years and uh, kind of comebacks and revivals and, and stuff like that and it was so then there's a uh, West End State yeah there is currently yeah now. this yeah. is a clip from the the second episode ever back in 1981 alright that's where our future lies Rodney second hand motors this time next year we'll be millionaires so this yeah. this is the first time he used that phrase in this show but right. it became a catchphrase and yeah. Derek Trotter is a wheeler dealer. He is always trying to get some money for some scheme. He's a market trader and, and he's kind of always selling slightly dodgy stuff that's fallen off the back of a lorry and yeah. and trying to make some money and is convinced that any minute now he's going to get to be very rich. He yeah. is basically Republicans. He is, he yeah. is, he is the, the temporarily disadvantaged millionaire of all... Yeah. Poor Republicans who vote for tax cuts for the rich because they think, well, you know, soon that could be me. Yeah, so exactly. Um, yeah, there, but for the grace yeah. of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm only one <laughs> deal away from being a millionaire. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, the the whole show is about his attempts to make money, uh, along with kind of relationships and family stuff. But um, yeah. eventually, Christmas special 1996, 15 years after this. Yeah. They found was it a rare pocket watch or something like that? It was an antique. Yeah, I think it was a pocket watch made by. There was a watchmaker who made a watch that would keep perfect time. So when you left Greenwich and you set this clock to Greenwich, it would keep perfect time, no matter what the conditions on the sea were. So you could work out from the time in Greenwich where you were in the world, right. and on the way he. He invented biometallic strips and all that kind of stuff. And I think they found one of his pocket watches in Only Fools and Horses. Right. Which, of course, it's worth yeah, a Yeah, worth a huge amount of money. So yeah. they did become yeah. rich, but it, it yeah. took 15 years long, yeah. 15 times as long as Derek yeah. initially thought it might. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because he's saying, yeah, next year. This time next year, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So our second example yeah. comes from the Civil War film Glory. With right. Denzel Washington, Matthew Broderick, and many other stars. And this is, they're coming back into camp after a big battle. Colonel Shaw! What is all this? You haven't heard? Lee was turned back in Pennsylvania, Gettysburg. Now Grant's taken Vicksburg, and all on the 4th of July. My God! Yeah, I know, looks like it'll all be over by Christmas. <laughs> this thing yeah. looks like it'll be over by Christmas is a thing which has been said about... The, the soldiers and the members of the public in many wars. There is a yeah. thing about that the, this was something that was said in the beginning of World War II, and it obviously wasn't. And this, this 
incident in this film in glory was taking place in 1863 and the war didn't finish till the spring of 1865 so they were wrong then supposedly they were wrong in world war one but actually people who have right. looked at whether this was a common thing that people thought would that this was going right. to be an easy war to to win it seems like realistically there probably wasn't any significant increase in the use of that phrase in literature of the time or newspapers or right any anything that they can find that suggests it was a it was a commonly held belief i thought for a minute there you were going to say there was there were people investigating whether it actually finished <laughs> by christmas <laughs> no it's yeah it's just which christmas you're talking about yeah. there was yeah there was somewhat of an uptick during world war Two, and again right i mean it partly which Christmas. There isn't a lot of evidence that I've seen, at least, that people in 1939 were saying it was going to be over by Christmas. But kind of as as the years of the war went on, it would be surprising if it wasn't said occasionally, oh, it'll be over by the t- this this Christmas or whatever. It was eventually over by Christmas. It was eventually, yeah. Eventually there's a yeah. Christmas before which it is over. Yeah. But yeah, there is there yeah. is a little bit of evidence that, that it was it was said in the Civil War by a couple of people of note. Uh, so this is possibly directly referencing that, um, or, right. or perhaps that information came out after the film. But yeah, the, so it's, it's, a, it's a thing where people going into a difficult, challenging situation, which is going to be tough and you don't know how you're going to get through it, in a way, yeah. there's another fantasy called wishful thinking, which is basically, this yeah. is true because I would like it to be true. Yeah. And, it, and it, there's kind of some of that in there as well. There's, there's, oh, mm. this is this is an awful situation. Yeah, it'll, kind of. Don't you know? Don't Christmas. press me on the details yeah. of how it's going to happen, but it will happen. That's a, now. That's a quite. A, well, I think what we should do now is is on the strength of that, just go back and watch every single war film that's ever been made, <laughs> see if we can and find see it. whether they say yeah. it. Yeah, and we could work our way back to the Boer War in, um, you know, the Michael Caine yeah. in Zulu. <laughs> we could look at that. We could go back if, if there's something yeah, yeah. In, a, in Sparta. Is there anything <laughs> from three hundred? Yeah. All right. Yeah. You start with Troy and work your way forwards, and I'll start right, with. Right. <laughs> Zero dark thirty and work my way backwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, me in the middle. Me in the middle. Yeah, yeah. So, our third example is from the Great British Bake Off, and frankly, this entire show, the or the Great British Baking Show, as you may know it, um, which is because I discovered there's a thing in America called the Pillsbury Bake Off, which is like a big baking competition. Oh right, which features the um, Stay Puff or the Pillsbury Doughboy, probably. Because the stuff yeah, after the yeah. marshmallow thing, but <laughs> yeah, both animated, squishy characters. We weren't aware of the uh, the, the Pillsbury Bake Off, but it makes kind of sense why you wouldn't want to call the show Bake Off like we do. Anyway, the Great British yeah. Baking Show, uh, or Bake Off as we call it, is is just a litany of people thinking the thing they're going to do yeah. is going to be quicker than it is when they actually yeah, yeah, do yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. The entire premise. <laughs> they do tend to. Overpromise and underdeliver. Yeah. The task here, this was a showstopper, so the end the third task of the episode, the end of the episode. And the task was to make a self-portrait out of biscuits. Right. Like a layered layered yeah. biscuit self-portrait. And here is right. how Ruby, one of the contestants, is describing what she's doing. My portrait is me finishing the London Marathon. Decorated with numerous toppings, her marathon selfie involves a marathon to-do list. I'm not going to tell him this. I have never finished it in time. I've never even finished it. Let's hope. 
that's not the case today. So she's practiced this at home. She knows how, what the time mm. limit is because mm-hmm. they're told this in advance. This is how long you will have to make this thing. She's she's planned this out. She's got a design for her biscuit thing. She's worked. She's she's had a go and not been able to yeah. do it. And it yeah. and still and this is exactly this fallacy is that as I said, it's persistent. Even though she knows she doesn't have enough time to do this thing, yeah. she's thinking, "Well, yeah, but when I'm doing it on telly, that'll be fine. It'll be a lot quicker." Yeah, and surely. And here's yeah. how that turned out. I could see what you were trying to do. Yeah, it was too too. I ambitious. think it was too much. All that work has meant that you didn't finish yourself. Yeah. And this is supposed to be a selfie, and it's yeah. supposed to be recognisable, and I don't think it quite is. <laughs> Yeah. So she ended up with with a few bits of biscuit that were kind of iced and a lot of just plain gingerbread type biscuit. And it didn't really look like much. And it wasn't what she was going for because she ran. Of course, she ran out of time because they deliberately give you a very tight time limit to do very difficult things. There is one person, there is a food researcher on Bake Off whose job it is to make sure that it is at least possible to get the right. stuff done that they're asking in people the, to do in, in the time the, limit they okay. give them. Okay, in the best possible circumstances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and that's yeah. what they base it on, is they give them this time limit, which is which anyone would find hard, and they're trying to do yeah. it while being filmed. Yeah, And yeah. that's part of the fun, is the pressure that those that they're under. If they were just sitting around going, oh, yeah, I've got half an hour now to just kind of ice this just cake, like that. that'd be all right. Yeah. It wouldn't be as interesting. So they set up this really yeah. difficult thing. And yeah, it, as I said, it's it's persistent. It, and, and even if you know that it's a thing, you still can't really plan for it. There's a thing called Hofstadter's Law. Yes. It, yes. Yeah. Which um, <laughs> I, I read. It was the best book in the world. <laughs> he wrote a book called Girdel Isherbach, The Eternal uh-huh. Golden Braid, which is which use, uses E.G. and B. Uh, Isherbach and uh, Girdle. It's actually a self-recursive loop the entire book yeah um because you reach the end and the quotes close and then you go back to the beginning and you realize the quotes have opened so the whole book is a quote within a book <laughs> it's a, it's basically a book about thinking and i read it when it came out i think yeah 1979 yep. i think it came out it's about how people think is the philosophy of thought and i was studying philosophy at university <laughs> and reading this book and it was the best book ever. so yeah hofstadter's law within this book is a self-recursive law yeah it says that whatever you're going to do always takes longer than you expect even when you take into account Hofstadter's law which is <laughs> which is the law itself uh-huh. so we're gonna we're gonna play fake news folks i love the game it's a great game i understand the game as well as anybody as well as anybody yes it's time for fake news the game where i read out three trump quotes two of which are real and one i made up and mark has to figure out which one is fake news you see i've realized that my strategy has been lacking spontaneity basically there's been too much concentration on the detail on how to achieve success so i'm going to do it much quicker and bring the winning that much sooner in a much more winningly way <laughs> but but just don't ask about the detail of seeing what the new strategy is yeah. or indeed the previous strategy because <laughs> it is I, mean, I reckon because you can get to 50% within a few episodes probably easily I don't see why not easily yeah. there's nothing assuming everything what, goes your what, way that'll, that'll yes, be right. <laughs> what, could, what could possibly stop me there's nothing in the way if we, if you just give me one quote to choose from <laughs> and don't put one in that you made up 
then you know it's yes oh, even no, that's taking what I kept in to keep doing that's that's why it's, that, that's yeah, why that, i've been making it unintentionally harder for you i didn't realize sorry yeah <laughs> no, i think you've been doing it deliberately all along that's right yeah don't try and fob me off with oh no it was all by accident yeah so yeah. uh yeah there is a theme this week because i don't know oh. if you know but uh but trump no? is running again oh is he yeah yeah it's uh it's right. been in the news a right. little bit yeah, uh, he is. He has announced his 2024 campaign, right? Um, and he did it in a, well, let's call it, really? let's call it a speech. It was, it was he really. I mean, he la- he when... he did it at Mar-a-Lago, and he mostly yeah. stuck to the um, teleprompter. He went off script right. a few times, but he just didn't look like he had the energy for any of it. It was very kind of no. contractual obligation announcement yeah, for candidacy, yeah, yeah, yeah. candidacy and i kind of it kind of it was probably well it was in the in the wake of you know the 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 red wave uh-huh. you know so it was it was yeah he was elated by the fact that yeah they were they were coming, so amazingly coming for him yeah. to lift him above, their, above <laughs> his shoulders yeah so yeah. these are quotes from that speech right in which he announced that he would be running and most of it he was talking about how awesome he was he didn't. Yes. He didn't spend a lot of time talking about how badly he'd been treated or how the election had been stolen oh. from him. Surprisingly, oh, okay. he spent yep. a lot of yep. the time because it was because again it was mostly teleprompter based. Yep. He spent a lot of time talking about how unbelievably amazing, and I use unbelievably advisedly, right. unbelievably amazing America was when he was in charge, right. and okay. likewise how much it will be when he's in charge again. Mm-hmm. So his uh, first quote is. My opponents made me out to be a warmonger and just a terrible person who would immediately go into a war. They said during the 2016 campaign that if he becomes president, there will never be a war within weeks and we will have wars like you've never seen before. It will happen immediately. And yet I've done decades, decades without a war. The first president to do that for that long a period. The world was at peace. America was prospering. What? (laughs) Is it, he's talking about himself as if he's been in charge for 40 years. I mean, he hasn't started a war for decades, is what he's saying. No. So. <laughs> but, but we know from Mary Trump's book, he's done nothing but do that it was, for decades. It was the mid-70s last time he started a war. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> anyway, statement okay. number two. Right. When I left office, this country was in better shape than it's ever been in, ever. The economy was strong, and whether you were a man or a woman, Asian, white or Hispanic, you had never been in as good shape. We had totally secured our southern border, and nothing was getting through. We did so much that we finished what we said we were going to do and said, let's do more. I had people coming up to me telling me, sir, you've done enough, sit down. But I didn't listen. (laughs) We totally secured our southern border. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so it's totally secure now when he's talking about it. When he's talking about <laughs> Joe Biden letting stuff through, uh-huh. it's a leaky sieve of a border. Mm. And statement number okay. three. Okay, yeah. We love both sides. We're going to bring people together. We're going to unify people. And it was happening in the previous administration, previous to the previous. And what was bringing them together was success. Prior to COVID coming in, the people were calling me that were calling me. You wouldn't believe it. The people that were so far left, I figured that they would never speak to me and I would never speak to them. But our success was so incredible, like never before. What? What <laughs> is, is that? <laughs> okay. Oh, we got. Oh, okay. We right. We're bringing people together. 
okay, because when I was in charge before, even the people way over on the left, yeah, they I were mean, talking to me. A, a famously unifying president. F- yeah. Everyone. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. He was so, you know, everyone he, he would listen to everyone. both sides. <laughs> he, he would <laughs> take everybody's requirements on board yeah. and satisfy them equally. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And not kind of whinge about people just not liking him or putting things in the wrong place. Yeah. Okay. Uh, right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he said two of these. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm quite taken with the decades without war because that would just be lovely to have him say it. Uh, but equally, I'm, I'm kind of put off that because that's a bit, it could be a, it's a very gym thing to do, to do a repeat in there like that. Um, also, similarly, the Sir You've Done Enough Sit Down sounds ever so like him, but so far left. See, I can hear, these days I can hear him <laughs> do all of them. That's the, okay, right, all right. Despite everything, I'm going to say that number two is the one that you made up. So of the other two, which are you more convinced by? Uh, see, that that word convinced gets me every time. <laughs> it's, I know it's coming, and up to that moment, I am quite convinced. And then when it appears, and you say, well, okay, so you've now got to actually use the word convinced. Uh-huh. Okay, I think number one, probably the warmonger. Decades and decades without war. Yeah. And number one... Yeah. ...is... Yeah. ...real. No. My opponents made me out to be a warmonger and just a terrible person who would immediately go into war. They said during the 2016 campaign that if he becomes president, there will never be a war within weeks, and we will have wars like you've never seen before. It will happen immediately, and yet I've gone decades, decades without a war, the first president to do it for that long a period. The world was at peace. America was prospering. Okay, so if he becomes president, there will never be a war within weeks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was a that was a thing he yeah. said that and, they said, and, the, and also that he's got he's done decades. He's got decades. decades he's done like he's done multiple decades, decades not just one but de- decade, but several. De- I mean, there's two plurals, yeah. two lots of yeah. plural decades there. So you've got to have at least two. So it's at least forty years. He <laughs> has done forty years without a war. I mean, to be mm. fair, he did avoid Vietnam. <laughs> so. <laughs> it's been he decades since I avoided going to war. Decades without a war. Yes, yeah. yes, that's true. That, yeah, technically accurate. Yeah. So the bit about world was at peace. I think. I think that there. I read something that since nineteen, since the end of the Second World War, there's only been one day when the world wasn't at war somewhere. One day. God, that must have been quiet in the newspapers that Very day. Very quiet day. <laughs> They just released one that said everyone's just chilling out. Yeah, it's lovely. Yeah. Well, yes, there you go, the yeah. The world was at peace. The world was at peace. There was no... Who is he telling this to? <laughs> People who are members at Mar-a-Lago. Right. Stupid millionaires. Right. 
who who are saying, I'm so glad we voted the president in, in 2016 because he, for one, has gone decades without war. And he was the... Wait a minute. And then he says, <laughs> I was the first president to do yeah. it for that long a period. You weren't president for 40 <laughs> years, for decades and decades. You were barely president for four years. I mean, I think you're being generous with barely, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're in the White House. Yeah. Well, no, I even <laughs> Some of the time. Some of the time, yeah. When, they, when people forced you in there to eat fast food. Yeah. <laughs> so. What the? Yeah. What? <laughs> I can't did help I, you. Did nobody I stand know. up and go, what the fuck are you <laughs> no, talking they che- about? No, you heard them. They yeah, cheered. I did. I did. The stupid <laughs> millionaires cheered. Yeah. Because they're thinking, yay, we paid $40,000 for this table. We're not going to walk uh, out now. Don't do. Let's go. Let's I mean, go. Shush, Marjorie. According, we paid a lot of According to some reports, mm-hmm. who people who were in the room, people yeah. did try and leave before the speech was over, but were stopped by security. <laughs> Snopes has not ruled yes or no on that because there are other there there were kind of plenty of other news report companies that didn't mention any of that happening so they're thinking well maybe it's just these couple of people who say that it happened but that has been reported at least the bouncers were outside throwing people in yeah so I mean he looked like he wanted to leave yeah he was (laughs) Anyway, uh, you also think that number three is real. I do, yeah. You think that Trump is, is <laughs> has decided to unify people. Yeah. Because yeah. he loves everyone. Well, it's, you know, uh, given a man who's, who's maintained uh-huh. peace for 40 years as yeah, president, yeah. Absolutely. you know, that's a piece of I mean, they call him the great unifier. That's, that's yeah. the nickname, yeah. <laughs> the, the, that's what I always hear people yeah. saying about Trump. It will come up to you and say, uh-huh. "Sir, you're a great unifier." Yeah, but I don't so, listen. Yeah. So number three mm-hmm. is yeah real. Oh, we love both sides. We're going to bring people together. We're going to unify people, and it was happening in the previous administration, previous to the previous, and uh, what was bringing them together was success. Prior to COVID coming in, the people were calling me. That were calling me. You wouldn't believe it. People that were so far left, I figured they'd never speak to me and I would never speak to them. But our success was so incredible, like never before. (laughs) Where where does he... (laughs) Where does he live that this is true? (laughs) I'm getting pictures, 1950s (laughs) picture books with with clouds and unicorns. (laughs) Like the bit, like the bit in in Fantasia uh-huh, yeah. with the with the the Prantomdom phone, that bit of music where they're all kind of fawns and centaurs and all that stuff. That's where he lives. Where this is true. Where all of this is true for him. I mean, I like that he clarified that he was talking about previous to the previous administration. Yeah. Given that he was the previous administration. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're going to, as it was happening. Yeah. Before me, you know, before, yeah. me, not me, not the me. other guy. No, no, no. <laughs> not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. he, he still thinks he's in power. So he thinks, oh, yes, because the previous people, the administration that was unifying people was George W. Yeah. Was unifying people in the sense that they were going, 
we've really got to get together we all to get rid of him. this guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 The, en- the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah, that kind of unification. Yeah. So what that means is that you've won oh, this week. yay! You're on a Woo-hoo! roll now. Uh, your your hot, hot hand, hand fallacy from last yeah. week yeah. turned out to be true. You won Look last week that. and you've won again. Wow. So See, I've got yeah. to ditch the old plan and... And Let it ride go with the new plan. Yeah. yeah, this time next week I'll be I'll be a million I'll be a millionaire. <laughs> yeah. So it's time for the part of the show that this week at least is called a red wave is not a logical fallacy because the red wave didn't really. Yeah. I mean, it was more of a ketchup stain. Exactly. It was. <laughs> it was not. Of, yeah. It was not what was promised. No. Red tsunami. We were promised. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that hyped up, yeah. Yeah, the midterms happened. It, yep. Kind of still happening because not all the votes are have been counted yet. There's still yep. places yep. where there's work being done to figure out. Yeah, and somewhere the the difference isn't sufficient. Isn't there a runoff where they neither of the candidates got there is 50%? in in uh, in Georgia, uh, Raphael Georgia. Warnock and yep. Herschel Walker. Yep. Amazingly, yeah, <laughs> th- those two people <laughs> got, got roughly the yeah. same number of votes yep. and. <laughs> And there was yeah. a libertarian candidate yeah. who got a couple of percent, so stopped them each from getting. Right. But yeah. despite that, Democrats reached the 50 seats in the Senate, so they have yeah. kept control of the Senate because they ha- it yeah. was 50-50. So even though there's going to be a runoff in December in, in Georgia with uh, Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock, which it's important that we still do and vote in and win, Yeah, yeah Democrats have the Senate. And now have the opportunity to have a 51-49 split, which would make a difference. It wouldn't be just the same as it was when it was 50-50. For the yeah. Republicans, it makes less of a difference because they already weren't in control and they still won't be in control. So I think there's less motivation for them now to continue voting for Herschel Walker. Aha, uh-huh, right. Then, or get behind him and, you know... get put, Because put they've already yeah, lost yeah, yeah, the Senate. Yeah. They can't get the Senate back. Yeah. And their nose has been yeah. rubbed in it already. The, yeah. way, the red wave has, you know, not so manifested itself. I suspect that although the votes for the two of them were quite close, I don't think it'll be very close in the runoff. I think it'll be eight or nine percentage yeah. points apart. Yeah. But still, don't use that as a reason not to vote. If you're in Georgia, yeah. you absolutely as, need to. As we know from we know. the one vote yeah, yeah. in uh, Hampshire. Yeah. So yeah. the reason that is still important, partly, is that Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema still exist and yes. are still likely to be arseholes post-midterms yeah. and can block progressive policies and, and things that the uh, Democrats want to get done. It will be easier to pick one of them off, to get one of them to agree to go along with the, the bulk of Democrats. Up to now, yeah. it's only needed either one of them to cause a problem. Yeah for it to be basically impossible to get something passed. Now it would require both of them to cause a problem at the same time. Yeah. That means it's better for Democrats, and it means it's more likely that they're going to get stuff done. And the fact that they have the Senate for the next two years means they can continue to do judicial appointments. It means they can continue to pass bills that have already been passed by the house prior to this point because there were there were bills that were passed by the Democratic House that were then pushed up to the Senate that might have been blocked. difficult yeah. to yeah. get through with both Mansion and Cinema possibly voting against it, but now might be easier to get through. If again, yeah. if if 
Warnock wins. And the other thing is committees, because depending on who has control of, whether it's the House or the Senate, each part of Congress, the committees in that part are split up depending on the leadership. So with 50-50, the committees in the Senate have been split down the Mm -hmm. middle. With 51-49, the Democrats will have more members on those committees than Republicans. And so those committees, when they submit reports or recommendations or rulings on things... Yeah. It will be the Democratic majority of, of each of those committees that has more of a say and more ability to shape what comes out of them. Plus also, as a, as a Democratic-led a Democrat led Senate, they will be making rulings on anything that comes up from the Republican-led House. Yep. So yep. they will get a chance to um, apply checks and balances. Absolutely. And yeah. do, do what the Republicans did to Democrat bills coming from the house very much so yeah 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 and let's remember the reason we said red wave is because the predictions were yeah that democrats would lose the senate would lose the house by maybe 40 seats which yep. is not atypical to what normally happens in a midterms in midterms mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. the party in power usually loses power in one or more of the houses and and by in some cases quite a lot of votes by uh, quite a lot of seats yeah um, and it makes a big difference to what they can then get done in the, the second two years of that president's term. And that is a, a kind of trend that has held true, certainly in, in president's first terms, for 40 plus years. Wow. Going back decades to... Decades and decades. Absolutely, decades and decades. Yeah. The only time yeah. I think that a president in their first term picked up seats in the midterms was Bush after 9-11. Uh, right. Because yeah. there was, yeah. you know... Bit war. of patriotism yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. going on there. Thatcher and the Falklands. Clinton yeah. picked up a few in his second term, but lost big in his first term, mm-hmm. midterms. It's almost a tautology. It's what happens in midterms. Yeah. Because the one thing that Americans can agree on is that they made a bad decision last time. They, yeah, yeah, you know, whatever yeah. they voted for last time, yeah. they were like, oh, this yeah. is shit. Yeah. Let's try something different. Who did that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they go the other way. Yeah. So that was the expectation among a lot of people. I can't remember if I said it on the show or if I just said it to Mark or if I said it to one of my other friends. But I or was just out loud in the I, shop. Or maybe, yeah. yeah, just to myself over and yeah. over to get myself to sleep. Yeah. But I was I was a little bit optimistic going in. Mm. Possibly overly optimistic. Because, you know, inflation's pretty high, Joe Biden's approval rating was pretty low. Yeah. There's a lot going on. But Roe v. Wade was not mm. out of people's minds. Yeah. I I thought that the Democrats have done just enough to keep it in people's minds. I thought that Republicans like Lindsey Graham, who in the weeks running up to the midterms announced that if they got in in charge, he would be pushing for a federal abortion ban, did a lot to keep it in people's minds. Thanks, Lindsey. Yeah. And and, uh, the way that turned out was that huge numbers of women voted Democrat. Mm. In this election, if you if they break it down and Fox have broken it down right. by uh, married and unmarried men and married and unmarried women. Yeah. And and the, the by far the biggest demographic to have voted Democrat in these elections is unmarried women. Wow. Yeah. Um, so thank you, unmarried women of America. Yeah. And yes, part of that is probably the abortion thing. I don't know that it's on 
every unmarried woman's mind all the time. Yeah. And and I know that there will have been other people in the other demographics who were also thinking of that, if even just not for themselves, but for just people in general. Yeah, there yeah. are people who think people about others rights. sometimes, yeah. and it's a nice thing to vote for. Yeah, them. and I think also <laughs> the threat that there would be other rights that would be... Yeah, absolutely. ...being coming after, yeah. And the Democrat-run Senate is already taking steps, with the help of a few Republican senators, mm. to codify same-sex marriage in yeah. federal law. Yeah. They're already doing that. So, yeah, this, this makes a huge difference, the fact that the swing wasn't anywhere near mm. as bad as it could have been. Oh, it was, and yeah, it was nowhere was expected near to be. 40 seats, was it? I Not mean, at all. It's, it's like... So far... 18? It's, it's nine. Six. Nine yeah. at the moment is yeah. the swing. It might be a few more, but at the moment, Republicans are on 218 seats, which is what gives you control of the House. It's 218 yeah. versus 217 would would still give you control. Democrats currently have 211, mm -hmm. and there are races still to be called, right. of which several will go Democrats. So I think yeah. I would say at this point, and this is Thursday evening, it's probably going to be 220 to 215 mm -hmm. when all of the votes are tallied. I don't wow. think it's going to go much above that. It's no. not a big majority. And what that means is you need and, – and Kevin McCarthy is, is not a super efficient and popular leader. <laughs> <laughs> he needs, as, as House Majority Leader, to get every single Republican vote. Each and every time. To pass yeah, yeah. Every time, yeah. 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 If there are bills that, that the House is trying to pass that – for some reason, there's a there's a mansion or a cinema on the other side who are like, well, I'm not really sure about this one. Yeah. This doesn't do the right things for my district or whatever. Then they're going to struggle, yeah. which is yeah. great. And if they did have a, a 30 seat majority, then, yeah, they'd be able to pass loads of stuff that would be an issue. The slim majority is huge news. And yeah. although it means that basically almost half the country voted on being kicked in the balls repeatedly for two years yeah. rather than having a nice soft pillow. Yeah. The, the fact those were your options and almost yeah. half the country went, oh, yeah, kicked in the balls, yeah, please. Kick, kicking me in the balls is fine. But at least they didn't vote to get kicked in the balls by election deniers quite so no. much. No, that, that, was, that was one of the things that where the votes broke down quite decisively. Against the the people who were strongest and most prominent election deniers, people like J.R. Majewski, Doug Mastroianni, Carrie Lake, My favorite, as it turns Carrie out, Lake. Yeah. yeah, Carrie yeah. Lake, governor uh, or not the governor yeah. of Arizona, yeah. the the race has been called for for Katie Hobbs there, although Carrie Lake has not yet conceded. Well, of course, because that's the thing, isn't it? That they that's, that's their thing. That's kind of what <laughs> happened. Is that. Uh -huh. Actually, very few of the, if any of them, really, um, of the deniers, it seemed to be so last year, or it seemed <laughs> to be suddenly a very old-fashioned thing to do to hear Carrie Lake talking about the the legitimacy of the voting system at the point that she was ahead at that point by some margin, and then yeah. there were twenty thousand votes yet to be. Uh, opened and processed and all that kind of stuff. So she was complaining then, and it seemed a very old-fashioned thing to be complaining about. And very few of those election deniers who talk about the whole system being rigged, who then lost, very few yeah. of them, if any of them, actually said 
the system is corrupt, I, I'm not going to concede. They all Yeah, they mostly... Much... I mean, certainly yeah. a few of them. So, uh, Donald Baldock in New Hampshire, who was a staunch supporter of Trump and election denier, he conceded pretty quickly yep. when his race was called. Yeah, it's a bit surprising. And maybe, to give them quite a lot of credit... Maybe they learned from the fact that they said it a lot before and it yeah. didn't make them win. And they yes. thought, oh, yeah. okay, probably there's no point then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, we set it up to this point. It and didn't make still, me popular. It made no difference. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. It failed to make the other guy lose. Yeah, <laughs> yes. That's quite interesting, isn't it? That the it seemed to go back to voting for people on the merits for looking after them. It's almost like voting for your local representative to look after your constituency's interests yep. rather than voting for the national misery eked out by Trump. Yeah, yeah let's, all, let's all express how Trump is feeling a bit slighted it's understandable that he was a little bit miserable when he stood up to announce his, I thought he was not going to do it. He he <laughs> would have just said, I'm going to back DeSantis. But I think it's, there's several things at play for him. DeSantis did very well. He seems to be the new Trump. And so he was called, what was he called? Yeah, every, every state, yeah, De Sanctimonious. Every statewide race in Florida went Republicans' way. Yeah. There were some, yeah. some areas that would, that went to Democrats in some districts, but, um, but yeah, all the statewide ones. Which, which in a way is credit to Trump. Well, well, no, because, um, DeSantis, they all, I think, I'm speaking slightly off the top of my head, but I think all of those statewide races won by a wider margin than Trump won in Florida in 2020. Right, okay. And a lot of that is being attributed to DeSantis. So in, in, a, in a way, and DeSantis has like taken the Trump stuff and been more Trumpy than Trump. And so there's two things at play that the red wave didn't materialise. The election deniers who lost didn't blame the election process. And on the back of that, Trump, can't ride in victorious and say, right, oh, let's go and do it all over again. Make yeah. America glorious again. Yeah, great and glorious. Magago. <laughs> yeah, magago. Mag 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, oh, and the other thing I, which made me laugh this week was, uh, yeah, I've only just realised Trump is only three years older than Biden. Three years younger three years than younger Biden. Three years younger, yeah. yeah. Three years, three years, nothing. And... um but that's bit, but he's aging at a different rate. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. You see, and traditionally, the the he's presidency, linear time, the presidency really takes like... it out of you. The presidency yeah. ages you, and Biden yeah. seems. I mean, he's uh, he's old and and doesn't look much older. He's, yeah, he. I yeah. don't think he's got worse. I think he no. was already. I mean, yeah, it, it, looking it very old Obama going in. Gray, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think being being out of the presidency has aged Trump more than just the two years he's yes. out of it. Because he didn't put yeah. any fucking effort in when he was president. So, of course, no. it didn't have any impact on him. No, he didn't think about stuff <laughs> or wrestle with anything. Yeah. No, not like people who've turned grey <laughs> in the process. Yeah, but, yes. um, but, yeah, like Florida went red statewide, Michigan went blue statewide, so their attorney yeah. general 
state house legislature the the governor all democrat now which is great mm. and the other thing where you can kind of see a trend if you're looking for trends is on abortion mm. access right. it's not universal in florida obviously they voted for mm-hmm. DeSantis, who has the ability to sign in to law more uh, strict abortion bills. And in Georgia, Brian Kemp won Georgia, basically so similar kind of thing. But in yeah. in other governor's races in states where that kind of thing was up, it's it's Democrats have it's gone Democrat or it has stayed Democrat, like for example Arizona. And in elections in states where they actually had ballot initiatives specifically talking about abortion, whether they should make yeah. abortion, keep it available or make it less available, it universally went to available. protecting yeah. abortion yeah. rights, uh, yeah. which is great, a little, you know, unsurprising in, in as much as, yeah, this has been the narrative over the last few months because of Roe v. Wade and, mm. and the Dobbs decision. So that's, but that, but really positive for people in those states. And also, obviously, for for the ones that have Democrat governors. So, overall, what was a kind of a little bit of a nail-biting evening has turned into yeah. a, an increasingly pleasurable week with yeah. with a, with yeah. a little bit of kind of hope early on that oh maybe they could even keep the house. You know, whilst it's ultimately quite depressing, it's it's not as depressing as it could have Absolutely. been. Absolutely, it's no, it's it's. Yeah. It's great that only slightly less than half the country voted for ball kicking for two years. Yeah, it's amazingly yeah, yeah. good news. No, that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and finally, some things we really don't have time to talk about. Having been convinced of an impending red tsunami by everyone from Tucker Carlson to whoever the fuck anyone is on One American News Network, I don't know their names, Trump made a pre-midterm announcement that he would be making an announcement on November 15th. When the red tsunami turned out to be just a trickle of blood leaking from the twitching corpse of the Republican Party, his advisers advised him not to announce his presidential campaign. But Trump didn't get to where he is today by listening to advisers. I didn't get where I am today by listening <laughs> to advisers. At least not ones who know what they're talking about anyway. So, in a speech so dull even he was bored by it, Trump announced that he is running again. The right wing was largely underwhelmed since some of them seem to have realised that he is a losing loser who loses. And the Fox and the Friends did everything they could on Wednesday morning not to talk about the previous night's big news, including, and I swear to God I'm not making this up, Steve Ducey demonstrating various features of his Apple Watch and reminiscing about his kids trying to get it to snow by flushing ice cubes down the toilet and Brian Kilmeade showing off a bobblehead of himself. Wow. I want one of those. I want one of those. Wow. Just not to talk about Trump. They did interview Mike Pence, who has a book out. And when asked about Trump running, Pence said of the man who fomented an insurrection of people chanting, hang Mike Pence, I honestly believe we'll have better choices come 2024. Meanwhile, nice. the New York Post turned shade into an Olympic sport with their Wednesday front page, which simply included a strap line at the bottom saying, Florida man makes announcement, page 26. <laughs> that is excellent. <laughs> oh, wow. OK, let's grift again like we did last summer. Yeah, why are we not surprised that despite claiming in thousands of fundraising emails and texts from his Save America leadership pack that he was working to win back control of the House and Senate for Republicans, 
Trump likely ended the midterm elections with $94,075,872 unspent, according to a HuffPost analysis of the latest available Federal Election Commission filings. We didn't lose because of Trump's rhetoric. We lost because Trump is cheap, said one Trump advisor to HuffPost. He left them all hanging dry. It gave a free shot for all the right-wing pundits to turn on him. Max Stepanovich, a lifelong Florida Republican consultant, said if Trump had spent his money and saved some of his acolytes from defeat, he might not be facing the insurrection in the GOP ranks that he must deal with now, which will end up costing him more than he saved. And Mike Murphy, a long-time GOP consultant, that money could have paid to build a nice Saddam-style Volga palace somewhere in South America where he could have escaped to and thereby saved the Republican Party from the deadly ballot box cancer that is known as Trump. But the thing is, A, he already has that Volga palace in Mar-a-Lago, and B, Trump doesn't really care, it's all part of his they're-all-out-to-get-me stance, and C feels a little bit whiny to be blaming Trump for not funding anything given their long-term association with the GOP and knowing just how Trump has been with money, like, all his life. Like, it's a surprise. Still, could be worse. He could be the nominee to run in 2024. (laughs) As we mentioned, one of the key losses for Republicans last week was the governor's race in Arizona, in which you lovely Arizonan listeners very sensibly voted for the rather excellent Katie Hobbs instead of batshit election denier Carrie Lake. Lake, of course, still hasn't conceded, going on social media two days after the race was called by the Associated Press to say she was still in this fight. On hearing the news on Tuesday that Carrie had lost, her supporters rushed to the Arizona State House to protest. But while a couple of them probably chanted stop the steal, the state police were never in any danger of being overrun. In fact, a very old security guard and his dog Jeff could have handled the crowd since there were less than 20 people who cared enough about Carrie Lake to show up. It does make you wonder, though, if she can't excite throngs of supporters into violent protest, how on earth did she get over a million votes? It's a bit suspicious when you think about it. Were those votes real, or did a team of Republican mules harvest them from Arizona vote fields and stuff them in ballot boxes? Yeah, stop, stop, the the steal. Steal. stop the steal! Stop the steal! <laughs> it's not often that gaming news site Carl Katu comments on world politics, unless it's the unexpected rise of a particular underlord in League of Legends... Or when the Tory party try to game their youth appeal by switching off the ability to comment on the HM Treasury Discord channel. Apart from allowing all sorts of sign-up IDs which don't belong to the person they seem to, Jeremy Corbyn, Jeffrey Epstein, for instance, they also forgot to switch off the reaction emojis. Yeah, word of advice, HM Treasury under Jeremy Hunt. Don't try to gain the public who are barely one more election cycle of austerity away from wheeling guillotines along Downing Street in the belief that this would guarantee some degree of protection from them. The data masters at the Treasury, of course, forgot that there are emojis that look like blue tiles with letters on them, and as well as hundreds of instances of eggplants and clown faces, dozens of the letters C, U, N and T appear under every post. Familiar as we are with the way this government communicates, we could all see through the lie... Due to the rapid growth of today's channel, which has seen over 7,000 members join, a technical difficulty has led to reactions (laughs) being paused. We are working with Discord to get reactions turned back on. Yeah, right. Though, turn them back on, they did, having removed the eggplant option, and one or two of the letters needed to spell out our preferred descriptor for this self-serving bunch of Jeremy Hunts.
Devin Nunes really needs to stop suing people. He's so bad at it. Nothing he does will ever be as funny as the time he tried to sue a fictional cow on Twitter and lost. But his latest lawsuit shows an impressive lack of legal knowledge, which suggests that neither he nor his lawyers have ever even seen an episode of She-Hulk Attorney at Law. Apparently, when Nunes sued Esquire magazine for suggesting that his family's farm hires undocumented workers, it didn't occur to him that in the ensuing court case, someone might ask whether that's in fact true. Which it is! In Nunez's testimony, he claimed that even if there was a way of telling whether someone was undocumented, it would be illegal for employers to use such a tool. Which is weird, since the eight bills he co-sponsored while he was a congressman, which sought to make it legal for farms to hire undocumented workers, suggested he had quite good knowledge of tools like E-Verify. And the fact that undocumented workers frequently falsify social security numbers, a practice which he voted six times to eliminate penalties for. Never one to knowingly and deliberately say anything that contained factual allegations that were either knowingly false or made in reckless disregard for the truth, Trump and his lawyers, in the now seemingly bygone era case they brought against Hillary Clinton, the Democratic National Committee and numerous others that he claimed conspired to undermine the 2016 presidential election, have been sanctioned by Judge Donald Middlebrooks. Middlebrooks, who previously dismissed the lawsuit, calling it a 200-page political manifesto, said that the attorneys ignored warnings from Charles Dolan, a volunteer on the Clinton campaign, and his attorney that their facts were wrong, including basic information such as where he lived. Consequently, the judge ordered Trump lawyers Alina Haber, Michael Medeo, Peter Tickton, Jamie and Sasson and their law firms to pay $50,000 in penalties to the court and $16,274.23 in legal fees to Dolan. In making his judgment, Middlebrook said this was a shotgun lawsuit. 31 individuals and organisations were summoned to court, forced to hire lawyers to defend against frivolous claims. The only common thread against them was Mr Trump's hostility. Dolan's lawyer, George Dumas, praised the ruling, trying to use the courts for political purposes, undermines the foundations of our court system. I think that's the message being sent. That message applies to lawyers and to clients. Haber, one of the sanctioned lawyers, said, It should be no surprise that we will be appealing this decision. In a statement following the ruling. Yeah, no surprise when you hear Trump's still got 94 million spare. That meter's going to run and run. Nothing says dollar signs like feeding the hatred of a Trump scorned. But it's good to know that the lawsuits are slowly catching up from 2016, I guess. One thing that became very clear during Trump's first presidency was just how much worse it could have been if he was even slightly competent. I'm sure several global crises were averted by Trump's tendency to get distracted and flop around uselessly like an overweight moose with no legs when it comes to getting actual work done. We got another object lesson in this dynamic last month when Elon Musk bought Twitter. Fears abounded that the site would instantly turn into a right-wing hellscape and some people left in protest, but those of us who hung around have had a front-row seat to watch a billionaire trying to become a millionaire. (laughs) From the moment he took over, rather than talk to the experts and learn why things are done the way they are, Elon just started publicly making shit up as he went along, reversing course when people complained and fucking up everything he tried to improve, like he's the UK government or something. 
<laughs> Thanks in part to his Tesla stock being massively devalued every time he sold a chunk, buying Twitter for $44 billion had wiped more than $100 billion off his net worth. According to Macro Trends, before Elon bought it, Twitter was making over a million dollars a day in revenue. And now, according to Elon, it's losing four million a day. I've done the math, and at that rate, it's going to take a long time to make his money back. <laughs> of course, the reason it's losing so much now, apart from the fact that Elon fired everyone who knew what they were doing, is largely the blue checkmark problem. He decided that rather than use them to show that a user was someone of note and verify that they really were that person, a far better use would be to use a blue check to show that a person had eight bucks they were willing to spend on a prank. <laughs> and spend they did. We had Mario flipping the bird from a fake verified Nintendo account, fake verified Coca-Cola accounts promising to put cocaine back in Coca-Cola if they get a thousand retweets, <laughs> some very homoerotic chat between fake verified Ben Shapiro and fake verified Ted Cruz, and some stuff from Rudy Giuliani that was probably fake, but who can tell with Rudy? It's not surprising that advertisers are pulling out of Twitter, especially when $15 billion was wiped off the stock price of Eli Lilly, when a fake verified account of theirs claimed they were making insulin free now. Wow. We could do several episodes about the chaos at Twitter recently, but the fact that Elon didn't see this coming in a world where two-thirds of people voted for a boat to be called Boaty McBoatface tells you all you need to know about his internet savvy. Never, never ask the general public... <laughs> Or anything. Who knows what could happen? You could, you could go, you'd something stupid, like you could leave the EU or something like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, be an that error. would be so stupid, wouldn't it? <laughs> Meanwhile, over here in Britain, in the last couple of weeks, Suella Braverman has been at pains to highlight the plight of asylum-seeking refugees for whom, let's face it, it must be so bad to be on land for them to think crossing the channel in a rubber boat is safer and also think they'd be welcome in Britain. Miss Cruella de Vil went from Dover in Kent to the Refugees' Arrival Processing Centre in Manston in Kent recently to address concerns, admittedly of her department's making, that processing had been delayed so that refugees were having to stay in accommodation designed for eight hours for weeks at a time. No, not really. She described it as an invasion. It's a half-hour car ride or a seven-pound train ride. It doesn't warrant going by twin propeller Chinook military helicopter at an estimated cost of £3,500 of fuel, plus crew and air traffic personnel. Yeah, about 10 grand's worth. And why would you go in a Chinook military helicopter? Who are we at war with and who is that for? Is it to make angry the same incandescently enraged people who were baited by a recent headline saying that she's made a new deal with France to give them a further £8 million to do what they already don't seem to be able to do and certainly no more than the British already don't seem to be able to do to stop people crossing the Channel in boats? Meanwhile, the Tory party budget was today... A word salady distraction attempting to repair the hole in the economy created by the previous mini-budget by the same Tory party. And the OBR reports, the Office for Budget Responsibility, reports that the standard of living for everyone in the UK will drop by 7%, effectively wiping out all the gains made over the last decade or so. And who's the voters holding to blame for this? 
Not the politicians. Suella's made sure of that. Yep, we're living in a single-panel cartoon of two men sitting opposite each other. One is white, one is brown. The white guy has a single cookie on his plate. The brown guy has none. A man in the middle has a stack of cookies so high he can barely see over it. And he says to the white guy, Careful, mate, that bloke's looking to steal your cookie. And, of course... If social media isn't just the temperature gauge of Cruella's fan club, people still think Labour would be worse. If anyone knows whether I have any connections to long-lost European passport-holding relatives, please get in touch. So that's all the bad arguments and faulty reasoning we have time for this week. You'll find the show notes at fallaciousTrump.com and if you hear Trump say something stupid and want to ask if it's a fallacy, our contact details are on the contact page. If you think we use the fallacy ourselves, let us know. And if you've had a good time, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts or simply tell one other person in person about how much they like our podcast. And you can support the show at patreon.com slash ftrump, just like our straw man level patrons, Schmoots. Mark Reiki, Amber R. Buchanan, who told us when we met her at QED, we can just call her Amber. He can say that every time. I am. (laughs) And our true Scotsman's level patron, Stephen Biggle, Janet Uetta, Kaz Tui, Andrew Houck, Max Beaver, and our top patron, Lauren. Thank you so much for your continued patronage. It really is very much appreciated. You can connect with those awesome people as well as us and other listeners in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash fallacious trump. All music is by the outbursts and was used with permission. So until next time on Fallacious Trump, we'll leave the last word to the Donald. That's right, go home to mommy. Bye. Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.